Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and this is radio show 328 and the first one of 2020, so Happy New Year to you. Today's show is Levers for Increasing Employee Engagement. We're going to be talking about two important levers for increasing employee engagement. I'm Jo Dodds, your host today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, and we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private, and third sectors. If you go to our website, which is engageforsuccess.org, you can use the link at the bottom of the page to join our newsletter list, and all our social media links are there too. So my guest today is David Nelson, who's author of The Nine Dimensions of Conscious Success. Welcome, David. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. I very much appreciate it, and Happy New Year to you and your listeners. And same to you. So start by telling us, David, a bit about you and what you do and how you came to write the book. Well, thank you. Yes, I uh, I spent about 18 years in the corporate world working for uh, a couple of companies and uh, mostly had focused my early career in the area of sales and sales management. Um, I, I worked for a large uh, brewing company, the Coors Brewing Company in the United States, uh, again, uh, starting in sales, and then I managed some division, sales divisions, and I shifted careers in about 1985 and went back to school, got a certificate in organization development, and I started focusing on organizations, organization culture, and um, you know, looking at organizations in the context of, first of all, the individual, then secondly, teams, and then thirdly, the organization as a whole. And that really uh, began to build the foundation for me ultimately writing this book. Um, so after, again, about 18 years in the corporate world, I then jumped out and started my own consultancy, focusing primarily on organizational change and executive coaching. And there again, um, all of that was very, very helpful experience for laying the groundwork for this book. Um, after a number of years, pretty much at the point that I started looking at my 60th birthday, I really began thinking about, um, number one, I had had great uh, good fortune in my careers. I'd met uh, tons and tons of really great people and learned a lot in the process. And I really felt a need as I was looking at 60 to give back and to try and provide something based on what I felt I had learned in life. And um, uh, in many cases, I'd learned lessons kind of the hard way, and I thought there must be a better way than trial and error for particularly young people entering the work uh, force or the world of work. Uh, I thought there might be a better way than trial and error. And so the book really was about what I had learned, um, research that I did about success, and um, and along the way, of course, a lot of what organizations try to focus on in terms of their own success deals directly with engagement and how 
the challenges involved of getting, you know, workforces totally engaged in the company um, and totally engaged on a very emotional level. Um, and there's, of course, loads of research that talks about the benefits of employee engagement and how it contributes to company success, et cetera. So um, that's sort of my background and how I came to write this book. Lovely. And I think it's interesting that over the holidays I was reading uh, an article which talked about how we seem to spend a lot of time sort of working with managers and leaders or perhaps even blaming managers and leaders for the poor engagement levels that, that sometimes we find in organisations. And the article was talking about how um, actually everybody in an organisation is responsible for you know, leadership and engagement, really, you know, it's, it's everybody. It's not just, you know, the person at the top or the, the you know, the, the, the board at the top or whatever. Um, and so it's really interesting to have you on the show today because your book is, is, is from what I can um, understand, quite a lot about sort of personal development and individuals, which has that impact on the, as you say, the teams and the, the organization as well. Uh, correct. I, I think one of the things that, um, you know, again, I'm <clears throat> I'm looking uh, straight in the face of 66 this month, and so uh, I've been around a while and, again, seen a lot, seen a lot of different trends in terms of management and leadership. And I think when I started in my career, um, much of what was written and much of what was reinforced in at least the companies that I worked with, others that I was aware of, uh, it was the notion of a very top-down kind of dynamic, that leaders were mm. at the top. They would sort of cascade their influence down. And, uh, of course, the other thing in the 1970s, a lot of the cultures in companies were more focused on a command and control kind of culture. So, there were very strict hierarchies, et cetera. I think as companies have evolved, and as we've gotten, frankly, quite uh, a bit smarter about what it takes to engage people, we have moved away from that notion that everything has to be top-down. Uh, you know, the basic notion of leadership, uh, very simply stated, is about influence. And so it doesn't require a person to have direct reports or have people that they are responsible for uh, to really demonstrate leadership. Anybody in any organization can be a leader, and it's just about, you know, how do they show up and the influence that they can create up, down, and across the organization. Mm, yeah. So talk us through the dimensions. We, we said we were going to um, talk maybe about two or three of them, um, <clears throat> but am I putting you on the spot asking you for all nine? <laughs> I selected nine, and it, uh, the, I did a podcast uh, a week ago, and they said, how on earth did you come up with nine? <clears throat> Frankly, my, uh, my challenge is that uh, the basic philosophy I have in life is simpler is better and less is more. Um, by the same token, when I do the research, um, I was very challenged around saying, well, um, uh, you know, there, there are only three things that you really have to remember. Uh, number one, I came to writing the book uh, with a certain preconception about what I felt I had learned in my career, but I knew that wasn't enough, and I knew that I couldn't write this book totally alone. 
Um, one of the messages in the book is that all great results come from some level of collaboration with others. And so I did a fair bit of research. I interviewed almost 60 people, and I asked questions about what, number one, they saw as being <clears throat> a basic definition of success. Secondly, I asked them questions about what they felt had made them successful in life or unsuccessful. And then I also asked questions about, uh, I asked each individual to identify someone that they admired, that they had felt had been a great success, and what were the elements for those individuals that caused them to be successful. So in all of that research, as we distilled down all the data, uh, it became clear to me that there are a number of dimensions that become important. We chose nine based on the research and on the data. But I also recognized that we had to differentiate or separate them. So we identified three that I call the foundational elements. The three foundational elements in our model and in the book are purpose, self-awareness, and social awareness. And then we transition to outward or external focus and what are the things that people can do that will differentiate themselves from others in achieving their own success definition. And those six things we call differentiators, and they very simply are authenticity, work ethic and personal responsibility, listening, articulation, humor, and gratitude. And so nine was a little bit, it was a stretch, and I, and I thought, gosh, I really want to get this down to five or six, but to do the topic justice and to give the maximum benefit to young people that I was trying to influence. That's how we arrived at nine. And, and I've gotten a lot of feedback uh, since writing the book and publishing and, and doing workshops and speaking engagements that, you know, life is complicated, but this notion of dividing the nine into three plus six seems to make sense to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, talk in a bit more detail about some of those that, that you've mentioned and and um would that be those three or or, or are there others I'm, I'm actually quite interested separately to that just in the humor one because that's the first time probably i've ever seen that in a, a list of this ilk if you like so i'd be really interested in yeah. some sort of uh, thoughts on on how that fits in um but you know let, let's talk through some of the others as well I'll let you lead. <laughs> well, uh, well, because you brought it up, I will touch on humor um, first. Uh, Ken Blanchard uh, was an acquaintance that I made, and I began to get to know him a little bit and know his work. And he was kind enough and gracious enough to write a foreword to the book. And um, he, he makes a really good con comment about humor. He was glad to see that humor was one of the six differentiators and um, his comment was, to me, the most successful people take what they do seriously, but themselves lightly. The reason I included it, I think uh, a couple of reasons. One is that growing up, I was influenced by having uh, parents that, were, that had great sense of humor. And my father was always great at making jokes. And, and I tell some stories in the book about humor. Um, and so I came at humor somewhat naturally uh, to the degree that I got enjoyment laughing. And to some degree, I got enjoyment out of producing the result that other, people's, other people would laugh. 
Um, but there was a more practical element to it as well, and that is that I found that in some of my biggest challenges in life, having a sense of humor helped me get through those rough times, recognizing mm-hmm. that, you know, sort of the notion that this too shall pass, number one, and number two, gosh, when I look back on this, I'll probably laugh. There's something quite funny about it. And I even start the book with a story about learning to water ski and uh, some of the really challenging that I had. But very quickly after uh, learning a little bit about water skiing and my uh, trials in, you know, one of the things with water skiing is your, your first time, the big thing is get standing from, you know, you're down in the water, get standing and stand up and you know, that skiing, while it takes a few tries to do that, my attempts at it were quite humorous. And so um, at any rate, the the notion of humor is uh, based on, number one, my upbringing. Number two, I think it helps you get through rough times in life. And number three, I think um, people enjoy being around people that are willing to laugh and share a laugh. So that's how, mm-hmm. how humor came to be uh, kind of a critical piece here. The three that I would often point out, back to the starting point of your question, the three that I would point out that I have a great passion for, number one, it's at the heart of the model, which is purpose. I think if people want to achieve success in their life, and I think this is important as companies think about engagement, engagement of their employees, I think it's so important to know where do you want to go in life or what do you think your purpose is? Um, a, a famous uh, humorist in the United States, Mark Twain, uh, famously said the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and secondly, the day you figure out why. And so everything that leads to our own individual success, um, unless you just totally believe in the randomness of life and you want to bang around uh, against um, various things and do a lot of trial and error, it helps to say at the beginning, at some point in your life, gee, this is a goal that I want to set or a vision that I have, or this is what I'd like to do. So purpose becomes a very important foundational element in whatever people choose to define their own success as. The other thing is to go through life Um, with no self-awareness is challenging. Self-awareness allows us to understand where we are. It it helps us to understand what our, you know, how we're doing emotionally, physically, whatever, how it contributes to how we show up in life. And therefore, you know, are we, are we operating in a way that we, uh, that we really want to, I talk about, you know, making sure that your best self shows up in life. And in order for your best self to show up, you have to have some level of self-awareness. You have to know when you're doing well and you're uh, consistently living your life on purpose. And also when you've derailed, um, you know, I've said to clients over the years, awareness is the first step to recovery. If you want to create improvement in your life, it starts with that self-awareness. And then I guess one, the, the third one that I talk about that I have a great deal of passion for is listening. And I mean really listening. Listening, I call it, you know, listening for not just the words, but the music behind the words, um, really connecting with someone. Number one, I think it shows a definite um, demonstration of respect for the other person. 
Number two is the real art. I think that um, I frequently encounter people who may um, sort of listen to the, the words, but they're not listening for meaning and they're not truly connecting. So in summary, I'd say purpose, self-awareness, and listening are the three that I have a great deal of passion about. How interesting that uh, we talk about four enablers of employee engagement. The first one is about the uh, strategic narrative within an organization and that everybody within the organization understands that, i.e. the purpose of the organization and how they contribute uh, to it. And uh, our third enabler is about employee voice. And we talk about it, you know, it's not just about um, asking questions. It's actually about truly listening to the answers and, and then taking action and, and working with people on, on those two. So interesting that those two link to that. So how can organizations uh, use these dimensions to uh, help to develop their, their teams and also to you know, be- better engage people or help people to better engage within organizations? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And I, um, let me start with sort of the foundation of the work that I've done on employee engagement. Um, we have done some management development work with a number of organizations. And one of the critical pieces in our curriculum and in the, the teaching is about engagement. And by the way, you know, without my contribution or my research, there are, there's just loads of research uh, that ties very directly employee engagement to corporate performance. Um, it's very, very well known, uh, uh, more familiar probably with, with U.S. research, but in the U.S., companies that have highly engaged workforces um, perform, in some cases, multiples better than comparative companies. Um, and understanding it is the starting point. You know, there's a difference between a lot of the, a lot of the research talks about uh, employees on in sort of three categories, those that are fully engaged, those that are somewhat engaged, and then those that are disengaged. And um, uh, again, the research is quite clear that the best performing companies generally have very, very high engagement skills. And so the work that I did, um, uh, excuse me, high engagement scores, the work that I did uh, early on came out of some of the work by Blood White that basically said there are two levers for great employee engagement. Uh, lever number one is that employees have high levels of personal satisfaction. They can come to work, they feel good about what they're doing. And the point that you made is really critical, and that is that it's easier to have a highly engaged workforce when people understand the real mission or vision of the organization. In other words, they come to work and they know what this company or organization is about. Secondly, um, they know how they contribute to it. Um, if I can, I'll just offer a very quick um, uh, little story, wonderful story out of the United States space program. I even get uh, somewhat emotional telling this story when I do it in workshops. And that is that uh, one of the, the, the broadcasting networks went into NASA, uh, National Aeronautics and Space Administration. It was back during the Apollo moon mission days and they went in and they interviewed people that were working in a variety of um, in a variety of jobs. And they had an interesting experience where, uh, sort of after hours, they were interviewing someone, essentially with the janitorial staff, someone who was uh, sweeping up and mopping floors and so forth. And they 
talked to this individual and they said, well, uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about your job. It looks like, you know, your primary role is sort of custodial in nature. And the individual said, oh, no, um, my job is critical to what we're doing here at NASA. Um, every day that I come to work, I'm helping put a man on the moon. And it was such a, a great story, an inspirational story about even what may seem to be the most mundane tasks, if people see how the connection uh, works to the general mission, um, they remain highly engaged, they remain highly motivated, they make better employees, and ultimately the overall organization performs at higher levels. So uh, back to the two levers. Uh, lever number one is that people have a high level of personal satisfaction as they come to work. The second lever um, is that they also operate in a way that maximizes their contribution to the company's success. And so managers and leaders need to sort of nurture both of those things. As a manager or a leader, you know, a good question to ask is, how am I making sure that I can influence or, or enhance this individual's personal satisfaction? Also, how can I ensure that what I have doing or the direction that I'm providing, the influence I'm providing, is directly tied to the maximum contribution to the company's success. Um, uh, your basic question then is how do the nine dimensions tie to that? Um, I really think that if you teach people, uh, you know, basically what it takes for them to be personally successful, that engages their personal satisfaction. They'll feel better about the job they're doing. And I think also companies that then invest in talent development around employees being the best they can be and therefore more engaged um, really ties to high engagement scores and therefore high performance. I rambled a bit. Do you think I answered your question? Yeah, no, I think it was good. You you went all around the houses with that one. That was really good. I, I, I could have asked about four questions in there. <laughs> so, no, it wasn't rambly at all. It was, it was, um, it was in, uh, you know, absolutely. I was, I was, I was reflecting on the fact that actually it did all make sense and you were getting to where you wanted to go and also remembered the question, which is unusual. <laughs> so, uh, so um, it's interesting as well, again, thinking back to our, um, enablers, engaging managers is one of them, and the other of the four is organisational integrity. And again, the, the the dimensions fit with that. You know, our, our um, when we talk about engaging managers, we talk about people being treated as individuals and and having regular coaching and and um, being um, helped to see how that what they do fits in with the organisation and. Um, you know, that bringing your whole self to work piece we talk about a lot within the movement as well. And it just strikes me that some of the, the you know, the dimension around humour um, and, like we said, you know, the listening and so on fits so well with that. And then, you know, authenticity, we talk about organisation integrity, that whole piece about, you know, we don't have all these lovely values stuck on the wall in the office, but actually how we behave is different to that and everyone knows that, you know, that that's not what, what helps with, employee engagement within organizations. So going back to what I said at the beginning about the article that I read saying, you know, we tend to sort of manager bash in, in terms of engagement and, and blame managers and leaders for everything. 
Um, well, know. and I, I think it's potentially a two-way street. I think you raise a very good point. Um, I think it's easy to, to manage your bash. I think it's also easy from time to time for managers or leaders to uh, jump to a conclusion about being disappointed in an employee's performance. And that's why one of the things we talk about as that third foundational element is social awareness, um, self-awareness and social awareness, having an idea of, you know, what is the impact um, that I'm having on others by anything that I say or do. And this is very critical for managers or leaders because um, uh, there was a psychologist many, many years ago who had a very fundamental premise about people and human behavior, which I've never forgotten, and that is uh, Virginia Satir, who said, all behavior comes from positive intent. And um, with very, very few exceptions, you know, I, in all the companies I've worked in, hundreds of companies and with thousands of individual employees in my 28-plus uh, years doing consulting and executive coaching, and in all that time, I never once met someone that I felt got up in the morning, you know, questioning how can I go to work and, and perform poorly today or suboptimize. Mm -hmm. You know, I mm -hmm. think humans are fundamentally wired to want to do their best. And so when they aren't, a good, a good uh, uh, sort of checkpoint for managers and leaders is to say, gosh, I may not be getting the uh, performance that I want or need out of this individual. You know, two big questions are, are good to ask if you're in a position of authority. Number one, I wonder what might be going on with that individual that could be influencing what happens here on the job. Is there something happening at home? Is there an issue? Have they lost a loved one? Whatever it might be that's causing someone um, to perform less than what they might. I think the second question for a manager or a leader is to say, gosh, let me check my own behavior or leadership style. Am I doing something that is um, influencing this level of performance? Um, and there again, am I doing something back to those two levers? Am I doing something that may hamper this person's personal satisfaction? Mm. Yeah, such such good points. And um again reinforcing how important it is for us to develop our own personal skills and competence as well as our teams and as, as well as fundamentally the whole organization so we're just going to the last three minutes of the show <laughs> what what top tips um are you going to leave our audience with in terms of thinking about these dimensions and implementing them to help to improve engagement within organizations no pressure <laughs> well um i it's it's hard not to be a bit self-serving here. There, there, when we wrote the book, one of the things that we talked about is if we're going to eat our own cooking, so to speak, mm -hmm. if we're trying to raise self-awareness, that it would be helpful to provide people with a tool to allow them to raise their own self-awareness. Sorry about that. Uh, background <laughs> music. Um, uh, I apologize. Um, uh, the, um, uh, one of the things that we're encouraging people to be highly self-aware is we recognized we needed to give them a tool. And the tool essentially was um, 
an assessment that would allow them to raise their own self-awareness on how they perform with the, the nine dimensions. So uh, the, the basic tip that obviously we believe in is that uh, one is that if you are interested in this topic and in the nine dimensions, obviously we'd love it if you take a look at the book. Um, but the assessment tool, and it's a fairly inexpensive uh, online assessment that's available through our website, uh, davidenielson.com. The combination of being able to get the report, the personalized report from that assessment, um, and then be able to dive into the book with some of the, the prescriptive ways to improve on dimensions, that's one of the things that I think uh, we're finding many, many people, particularly new employees to the workforce, et cetera, find useful in ways that it just helps them to show up better. Um, mm -hmm. But again, they, uh, and one of the elements that contributes to that, that lever of maximum contribution to the company, to the company's mission and vision, uh, we write a lot about work ethic and personal responsibility that allows you to show up as a highly valued worker. And um, so I think um, following some of those tips, um, mm -hmm. uh, but all of them in, in combination, I think, uh, again, I talk a lot about how do you show up? Are you showing up as your best self? And so the one yeah. tip is high self-awareness high self about how you're showing up. Yeah, brilliant. Lovely. Thank you, David. It's been really enjoyable interviewing you today. Thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. I very much appreciate it. And just to let you know, next week, Joan Moffat is back and she'll be interviewing Charlotte Cherry and Alex Ainsley, who are Directors of Talent and Culture at Quilter PLC, and they're going to be talking about an experience of smarter working and the impact it had on employee engagement. So catch them next week. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.